Today's episode of the Hot 4 podcast is sponsored by SSV Limited. From tanks to full brew houses, SSV Limited has got you covered. In just five short years, SSV Limited have established themselves as your go-to partner to help you grow or launch your brewery. High quality tanks, parts, brewing kit, knowledge and experience to ensure your project runs smoothly from beginning to completion. Their online part shop stocks well over a thousand essential brewing parts to ensure your brewery is kept up and running with the majority available on next day delivery. Visit their web shop on store.ssvlimited.co.uk. That's store.ssvlimited.co.uk and place your order today. This is Nick Law, and you're listening to the Hot Forward Podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hotforward.beer is a podcast and website dedicated to the beer industry, supporting budding beer entrepreneurs by gaining insights from experienced brewers and folk within the craft beer industry. So grab a glass, pour yourself a beer, and let's get into this week's episode. Craft. An activity involving skill in making things by hand. The craft of cobbling. In singular. Skills involved in carrying out one's work. The artist learned his craft in Holland. As modifier. Denoting or relating to food or drink made in a traditional or non-mechanized way by an individual or a small company. Example. A craft brewing company. Such as Beavertown. Magic Rock and Hawk's Head. Dude, 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 you can't go around saying things like that. Not my podcast, okay? I'm going to lose like a thousand listeners. You can't say that, man. It's, it's That's too controversial, okay? There are certain Facebook groups listening to this. Listeners, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry if you were offended by that. Re- really, tru- truly I am, okay? From the deep pit of my soul. I, I apologise. You, you know what? Brian, you're fired, Brian. You're fired. You're fired. Get out. Get out. Just get out. Craft. Was there ever such a word in the English dictionary that has divided opinion in the world of beer as the C word? For some, it defines what it means to be a small, independent brewer. For others, it symbolises a revolt against the globalisation of big business and putting profits before people. While for others, it's the smaller beer selection in their local supermarket with all the colourful cans, sandwiched between cases of Carlsberg to the left and bottles of black sheep to the right. But what does the word craft actually mean? The dictionary defines craft as an activity involving skill in making things by hand. As a modifier, craft denotes or relates to food or drink made in a traditional or non-mechanised way by an individual or small company. So what about the brewery that is comparatively small, who still do much of the work by hand, but are owned by a parent company? Are they craft? Or the large family-owned brewery still using traditional methods to sell their beers across the nation? Are they craft? I think we'd all agree that large companies that get on the craft bandwagon simply as a marketing ploy to entice customers are being crafty more than they are craft. But surely the term denotes the kind of beer styles a consumer with thirst for big hoppy flavours is going to encounter, right? So what about the regional brewery that mass produces those beers or beer styles for major supermarket chains to sell their own branded beer at a pound a can 
are they still craft? Or what about the independent brewer who has a largely automated system with rakes to dig out mash tuns, rakes to dig out mash tuns, and automated packaging lines who aren't really doing that much work by hand? Are they still craft? As you can see, according to my guest today, it is a term that is completely undefinable, hopelessly misunderstood and absolutely essential. A few weeks ago, I sat down with freelance writer, broadcaster and consultant specialising in food and drink, Pete Brown, to tackle the topic of craft and its meaning, a subject he has given much thought to in recent times. When lockdown occurred, causing Pete and his wife to shield themselves for months on end, a dried up source of income forced them to get creative, focus hard and write and self-publish a book on this topic in a matter of weeks. As somebody that's enjoyed Pete's writings over the years and his company with brief exchanges at beer festivals and trade shows, he is somebody I've been itching to get on the Hot 4 podcast for some time and I'm glad it was for a meaty topic such as this. In our discussion, we discuss everything from terminology, brewery buyouts, why independence is such a hotly contested topic in the world of beer and how everyone plays into the hands of marketing in one way, shape or form. So before we take a deep dive into the world of craft, it's time for this week's... First up this week is Walthamstow's Wildcard Brewery. Wildcard Brewery has released a new batch of their seventh beer as part of International Women's Collaboration Brew Day. This year, Wildcard Brewery chose to brew an IPA in tribute to Ada Lovelace, a mathematician and writer who is widely celebrated as the world's first computer programmer. Every year, breweries all around the world gather on International Women's Day, which falls on the 8th of March, to brew a beer together under a theme. And this year's theme was Unite Tribute. Jaeger Wise, who's the head brewer of Wildcard, who was on the show a few episodes back talking about women in the beer industry, said it's important to recognise the work of trailblazing women who came before us and who are often left out of the history books. Women like Ada Lovelace paved the way for women like me and it's important that we remember that and recognise that. And as somebody who's got two daughters, I wholeheartedly agree with that statement. This beer has received a large rebrew in order to fulfil demand from the brewery's loyal customers as well as being featured in the June subscription box of Beer 52, highlighting beer for good. International Women's Collaboration Brew Day is a project which aims to promote and encourage more women in the beer industry through collaboration and education. Wildcard Brewery has been a host to this project since the start. Every year it gets bigger with more women attending the event, whether they work in the industry, take part in homebrewing or just simply avid beer fans. Back in March, they commenced brewing as a collective and spent part of the day being educated by Diego on recognising different varieties of hops by looking at their different characteristics. And Tribute IPA is now available from their shop, which is shop.wildcardbrewery.co.uk. It's 5.4% in 330ml cans and is absolutely delicious. So I highly recommend you try that beer. Go buy it. You can get 12 for £28 or for £50, you'll get 24 cans. And you will appreciate this beer the more and more you drink it. Now, the second brewery shout out this week goes once again to my good friend Shane Swindells and his brewery, the Cheshire 
brew house. Now, I've featured the Cheshire brew house on the podcast before, and I've got to say, I've been so impressed with his beers. And um, Shane very, very kindly sent me some of their Zygomist range and uh, some cans of Govinda, which is a 1843 Heritage English IPA. It's their Chevalier edition. And I've just, I've got to say, this beer is absolutely phenomenal. Like, I, 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 for me so far, it's been my beer of the year, actually up there with this other heritage beer, uh, the Gibraltar Porter. Um, but this beer has won the World Championship beer in 2018, and um, it's got the Great Taste Two Star Award. This beer is like no other beer, and one you must try before it's all gone. Uh, Shane tells me a little story which ties in nicely with today's episode. Pete was on a blind tasting panel at a beer competition and um, this beer Govinda was in the competition and Shane says that when Pete tasted it he was like I'm really sorry but I can't judge this beer I know exactly what that beer is and who brewed it um, it is so distinctive and it is just absolutely fantastic um, so make sure you get yourself over to cheshirebrewhouse.co.uk and pick up some Govinda, pick up uh, the Core Range and some of the Zygomist beers. Uh, these cans just look beautiful, they taste beautiful, and I've just got the utmost respect for Shane and the guys from Cheshire Brewhouse. So make sure you check them out, cheshirebrewhouse.co.uk and buy some Govinda today. Okay, that is enough talking from me. So just to wrap up, as usual, you can follow us on all the socials at Hot Forward Beers. So make sure you find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Subscribe to the podcast and leave a little review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and all the other major podcasting platforms. And make sure you head over to Hop Forward beer to check out some of the work that we do for breweries bars bottle shops suppliers and beer businesses to help cultivate great brands hot rocket your marketing and help develop your beer business so that's hopforward.beer so sit back and crack open a craft beer as me and pete brown discuss the meaning of the word craft Today on the Hop Forward podcast, I have the pleasure of being joined by award-winning author, broadcaster and consultant Pete Brown. Hello. Hello. How's it going? It's going all right, thanks. Yeah. Enjoying lockdown, being productive. Yeah. So uh, how have you been weathering lockdown so far and uh, staying alert? (laughs) (laughs) The country needs alerts. Well, the first day that it was announced that pubs were closing... Um, before full lockdown was implemented. I was already self-isolating by that point because mm. uh, I was showing mild symptoms and my wife's quite badly asthmatic. So uh, I was uh, stuck here in my study for two weeks uh, in like a really awesome prison. Having uh, We've we got a beer fridge and a kettle in here. Uh, <laughs> what uh, else do you need? <laughs> yeah, Liz, Liz brought like, freshly cooked uh, home-cooked meals to my door three times a day and then took the empties away afterwards. It was it was great. It just, <laughs> I got I got used to disinfecting everything every single time I went into the bathroom and that was that was it. So I came out of that and then all my work had dried up. Um, everything that I had was cancelled. I, I tend to do lots of events as well as writing and obviously the diary was just stretching empty 
uh, for, for the foreseeable future. And we had no money coming in as a household. My wife runs a literary festival and that got cancelled as well. Oh, gosh. So with with nothing in the diary, no work on and no money coming in, we uh, I, I hatched a plan to write and self-publish a new book uh, yeah. over a 13-week period. And Liz is working as the researcher, editor, publisher, uh, designer, you name it, <laughs> while I'm writing it. So yeah. uh, it's been a fantastic experience. But when you when you forget why we're doing it, when you forget that we don't have a choice, yeah. If you if you just look at each day in its own right, in terms of what we're doing and how we're spending our time, it's it's actually really really nice. Yeah. Do you know? I um when I was researching some questions for the podcast, I I was looking on your website and I noticed that um the covers being designed on Canva. Yeah, and yeah. I, I, I was amazed really because um, you know I know Canva's really good for people who don't have much design skill to kind of go on and, and create something. But when I saw it, I was like, actually, actually looks really professional. I mean, Liz used to work in design agencies, so she, she's got that kind of eye, right? You okay. know, if I do something on Canva, and the thing about ever since I worked in um, in, in marketing, it was the same. If I would, we used to have. We used to have like a studio department, and I know my way around PowerPoint pretty damn well. It's mm-hmm. kind of like a currency for me that I use on a weekly basis. And I'd give my presentations to the studio if it was an important pitch presentation, something like that. And they would send it back, and it looked better. And I and I could not see what they'd done to make it look better. I just knew it was far far better than mm-hmm. what I'd done. And it's a bit like that with me and Liz. You know, she just has this eye. Um, and yeah, I mean, using Canva, even the imagery on there. Um, you know, we've got this kind of uh, faded back shot of some beer kegs. That was there as a stock photo on Canva, which you can use commercially for the payment of 99p. <laughs> so <Okay. it's, laughs> Best 99p ever spent. <laughs> and she, so she did, about, she did about five options. And then we, we went on Amazon's top 50 beer books and looked at her designs next to all the ones on Amazon. Thought, you know what? That stacks up pretty damn well against yeah. most of these. So it's... Uh, been a great project yeah well, well talking about um judging books by its cover I, so I, I first came across your writings when i first got into beer and I, i'd sort of googled um you know book, books on beer and i came across my, uh, man walks into a pub yeah and i thought um oh you know I, I fancy reading that but b- being the northern skin flint that i am i, I did the kind of uh, I'll, I'll get a used copy you know, and I, I saw the, the the three covers together, that three sheets to the wind and hops and glory, beautiful covers. And then this book arrived with like this clip art on the front. Yes. <laughs> and I think it must have been like a first edition. I was like, what the hell is this? I hope this isn't as grab as it looks. And I was, I was actually blown away by it. Um, so they always say you should oh, never good, judge your book by its cover. And <laughs> there you go. Well, certainly that one. That one is the, the one that proves the rule. Um, that that one, they, um, they came up with that. And I said, uh, I said, I'm not sure about the mock-up. When will I see the finished cover? And they went, No, that is the finished cover. <laughs> and I said, Well, I absolutely hate it. It's vile. I detest it. And they said, W. H. Smith said they'll take five thousand copies of it if it goes out with this cover on. And I said, In that case, I love it. It's the best cover I've ever seen. <laughs> and then Smiths didn't. Oh <laughs> so no. Was, so I, when I got the opportunity to have it redesigned, so when. When Hops and Glory came out, the cover artist on that just did the most brilliant job. Mm. So I went back and said, please can we get the other two redesigned to be part of a set 
with this. And I took the opportunity then to rewrite Man Watch to bring it up to date a bit. And those three together, as you say, I, I love those as a as a kind of my my first beer trilogy. They yeah. they look great together. Great stuff. So just just before we dive into um, the, the subject of craft and and this new book you've written, um, I mean I'm pretty sure most of our listeners are familiar with you and your work and as a voice within the world of beer. But for anyone that's listening who might be like Pete who. Um, can you just give us a bit of your background in the drinks industry? Yeah, so, um, and by the way, I always meet people who've got no idea who I am. Uh, just as you assume that people do, they don't. Uh, so I used to work in advertising. And the reason I wanted to work in advertising when I was graduating from university was that back then, beer, beer adverts were the best things on TV. They were the funniest things on TV. Um, some of them still stand up today, even though others are pretty terribly dated now. Um, and I wanted to make beer ads. So I got a job in advertising. After about five years, I ended up working on Stella Artois and Heineken. Mm. Um, I, I killed off, I got the notoriety of having killed off the strap line, Heineken refreshes the parts of the beers cannot reach, um, which happened in the same week that that line went into the Oxford English Dictionary of Quotations <laughs> as as the most successful and memorable advertising line in history. <laughs> well <laughs> done. <laughs> um, so th- my my joke, this is not this is not quite how it happened, but my joke is that when that uh, happened, I realised that my days in advertising were numbered. Um, the truth is more that I was getting increasingly disgusted with advertising as a as a practice yeah. and feeling feeling me unclean when i came home from work and stuff um not because of the beer stuff but because of things like financial services and yeah. selling credit cards to people who can't afford them and that kind of thing um and the thing is in advertising my um i'm, I'm going on far too long about this uh in advertising it used to be quite a lot of focus groups and you'd get eight blokes in a room to talk about their preferences in beer and i'd never seen men so animated when discussing something as when we had them talking about beer like not even cars or maybe football teams was the only other thing that came close mm. and i start i started thinking why does beer have such a hold over people's imaginations why is it so culturally important and i started reading about it and and back at that time there were some great books about beer but they were all about this is what porter is, this is what pale ale is, these are the beers of Belgium, this, these are the hops that these are made with. And at that point, I wasn't interested in any of that. I, I am now. Uh, but I couldn't find anything on the culture of beer. And and so eventually I decided to write the book that I wanted to read. Um, and it became a big success. Um, I think it was very timely. I was very... If you, if you are successful in publishing, look, always, always, always plays a huge... Yep. role in that and that book just came out at just the right time uh, it's still my most successful book it's still um, higher than any of my other books on Amazon and things like that and and my intention was to write one book about beer uh, but then I wrote another book about beer and then suddenly I was getting columns in beer trade press and then I went on a trip to India <laughs> carrying a barrel <laughs> of beer and that was it I was a, I was a nationally known beer writer and I've uh, I've expanded beyond that. Uh, I've included cider. I've written about food now, but uh, I can't leave beer behind. It's mm. just in my blood. Yeah, it goes right back to when I was when I first got my uh, job working on Stella and Heineken as a strategic planner. There was a connection there where I just thought, no, I I love this 
market i love this product way more than anything else i've ever worked on and that stayed with me as a as a writer ever since yeah i mean when we were at brx a few months ago which seems like it might as well be another lifetime ago now absolutely uh, um yeah, i mean you mentioned that the new book that you you've been working on and, and the idea of craft which i'd like to discuss today but um i remember i remember you saying actually um how the pub your publishers kind of like we, we want to have another book, Pete, as long as it's not about beer. <laughs> yes. I mean, I don't think beer books are selling too well at the moment. I think I think the latest new wave, I think a lot of beer communication now is happening online. Mm. Uh, I think it's, um, uh, you know, there's lots of Instagram, lots of Twitter. Um, and I think there's lots of people who feel that they are knowledgeable about beer and don't need to read books on it. Yeah. So, so beer book sales in general aren't doing brilliantly at the moment, um, and also my publishers just want me to write about something else. <laughs> so. so, can you tell us a little bit about the forthcoming book and the premise of it before we sort of dig into uh, this this word craft? Yeah. So I've I, I think I first yes. In fact, I checked this up. I first wrote the term craft beer uh, in my second book in in two thousand and four after visiting Oregon. Uh, craft beer week and um, I knew what craft beer was uh, but this is before it had a technical definition I just knew I just knew in my head what craft beer was and and ever since then I've followed the debates over definitions of it and um, it's always fascinated me and perplexed me and when I get very frustrated it's when people say things like oh well, craft beer is just a meaningless marketing term or craft beer doesn't actually exist because it hasn't got a definition and those points of view really rile me up mm. because it's like you, you don't get to say that just because you're dissatisfied with it you don't get to say it doesn't exist last time I checked 24 million adults in the UK claim to drink craft beer at least occasionally no one of us can turn around and say that what they're drinking is a figment of their imagination <laughs> or, or or they might or 24 million people might call it craft beer but they're wrong because i think it doesn't exist and and i, I don't think the technical definitions are any um help really because they're designed to exclude rather than include yeah and i totally get i totally get the commercial reasons for that um and so i've watched as craft has become you know, craft is now increasingly being replaced by the word independent because that's more fit for purpose for what people are trying to do with it. Um, but I don't want the word, I don't want the phrase craft beer to get left behind or discarded because I think it's got a lot of power. And so I've been thinking about that for years. And then I found this book called Craft, spelt in its old English spelling, where it's got that kind of conjoined A and E in right, the middle. Right. Yeah, yeah. So it's, like, so it's like craft. Uh, and it was all about ancient crafts such as um, uh, basket weaving and scything and digging uh, and all this stuff that metropolitan elites like me absolutely love to pretend that we might end up doing one day. You know, <laughs> I'm just, just jack all this in. And, and, and so I started reading around this broad area of craft and thought, can I situate craft beer and the debate about craft beer in the heart of this kind of broader debate that's happening about craft and the importance of craft uh, in, a, in a much in a much broader sense, and publishers really couldn't care less about this book. They think it's quite a niche book. And what happened with lockdown was I thought, well, it might be niche, but if I self-publish electronically, that niche is global. Every, every book I've ever published has been published in one market at a time, specifically mm. in one country. So I'm hoping to to kind of have a global uh sort of 
contribution to this debate about craft. Yeah. Uh, I've been around quite a lot of countries recently, which are at different stages in craft beer, places like South Africa, Australia, and of course in the States. And, and I just want to give a different perspective on it. And I think it's going to be a really, I also think it's going to be some of the things we discussed in the book are going to be quite profoundly impacted by lockdown and what I'm going to come out of it. Yeah, absolutely. So to the average punter that stood in a supermarket or a, a, at a bar, which seems like a really odd thing to say at the moment, um, <laughs> I mean, do you think having some of this terminology is helpful to navigate some of the flavours that they might experience? So like you stood there, it's like, well, you know, to, to the left on the sh- shelf are all the craft beers and to the right are the traditional beers and, and to the far left are all the lagers and stuff. And do, do you think that's helpful for the general yeah. punter? Uh, there are countless surveys uh, that ask people what they think craft beer is, and it's always um, well. It's made on a. It's probably made on a smaller or local scale. Uh, it uh, probably is made in small batches, and it probably tastes a bit more interesting and characterful than um, than mainstream lagers. I, I think at its broadest, it's anything that's not one of the big mainstream lager brands. Right. Um, which wouldn't be, which wouldn't be my definition personally, but I think a lot of people would be comfortable thinking about it like that. And and one of the things I go into is just, just talking about words. Craft beer is a nice term; it evokes a lot mm. of associations. And if and if the if the associations it evokes make you more likely to try, I mean, my God, even if you were going to try like sorry, I don't want to do Masters down, but uh, sorry, Kalsberg. Um, but uh, you know, even if it got someone to try Masters Pedigree. Uh, or a can of punk IPA instead of that's just their usual Foster's or Stella, and it's not for, it's not for me to say they're morally better for drinking something more interesting. Although that's an argument I go into in the book, um, but it, they might get more joy out of it. Mm. You know, they they might rediscover beer in, in a way that and, and get something out of it that they never thought they could get out of it. Every time I give someone a craft beer for the first time, uh, and I ask them what kind of things they do like drinking. When you give when you give someone a really good West Coast IPA for the first time, and their mouth opens and their wide, eyes widen, and they go, "My God, I never knew beer could taste like that." That's a good thing. Yeah. That that's made someone's life a little bit nicer than it was before. Mm. <laughs> and that, I think I think that's all we can do in our short time on this world. Yeah. So can you take us on a brief journey of craft beer and how we've ended up at the point where there's this seeming divide between all this is in inverted commas like traditional real ale and contemporary craft beer because it, it does feel very much like there is that divide now yeah and this is the, this is one of the controversial points actually because if you look at any attempt any serious attempt to define craft beer uh, and i've looked at every single definition of craft beer i can find uh, going back to the early 80s and every single definition of that would include traditional real ale as part of craft beer in fact until 2014 traditional was part of the official american definition of of craft beer so there's absolutely nothing in any idea of craft beer that excludes the old traditional british real ales in fact i start the book by talking about cider because there's now a craft cider movement right and it's and it's copying the craft beer movement and 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 a, a question that i asked is if craft is about uh, challenging characterful flavour, uh, using traditional methods and techniques, you produced on a small scale, uh, using traditional ingredients and processes, um, then why is this farmhouse cider in a plastic jug not craft cider, but this one in a really cool-looking can is a craft cider? Mm. 
and and it's the same in beer and what it gets down to is that a lot of craft drinkers claim that they're just influenced by the products they're not bothered about image or anything like that they are as bothered about image and marketing as the consumer of any big mainstream lager and that's what it is about craft they want to be seen drinking from a really cool can or they want to be seen drinking now it's like i can drink this because it's hazy so people know that i'm drinking craft i get reports from bar staff i know saying uh, we served someone an ipa and they brought it back to the bar because they could see through it and said, I asked for a craft beer. This can't be craft beer because I can see through it. Wow. Now, now that's just image. That's just image. That's nothing about the product. That's nothing about flavour. And it's an uncomfortable truth that craft drinkers are, to a large extent, just as influenced by image uh, as anybody else in the beers that they choose. But do you think a lot of those drinkers, particularly on certain Facebook groups, which remain <laughs> anonymous, um, I mean, do you think that there's a like a certain snobbery about it basically oh there totally is there totally is um and i think you see it with and i recognize it because when i was in my late teens and early 20s i behaved in exactly the same way about music yeah and and it's funny that we're now calling it independent beer in in australia they're trying to call it indie beer and i and i was (laughs) i I was i was an indie music snob you know they have they have have indie beer day in australia now um and i don't begrudge that's it's it's a good way for them to go but We've all been in that situation where, well, if you're a big, if you're a music fan, you've been in a situation where you've watched a small band in a club, and and then they get bigger and start playing stadium, and it's like oh they're sold out, they're sold out. I, I prefer their earlier stuff, the the shit now, and and people are just like that with with beer, and you see it with like when it, that that first wave of craft beer with really characterful IPAs uh 10 years ago there was this snobbery of well this beer's got 85 IBUs this beer's got 100 IBUs you won't like it you won't like it because you can't take beers like this whereas I'm a proper craft beer connoisseur so I like these really bitter beers and you don't and then people like my wife start going, actually, that's really nice, isn't it? And it's like, shit, shit. OK, well, <laughs> n- now I'm going to drink sour beers. You won't like these. <laughs> oh, actually, yeah, I do. Shit, fuck, OK. <laughs> and, 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 and you see the craft snobs retreating to more and more eclectic styles as as the styles that they adored a few years ago become too popular for them. Mm. And I think that's that's a lot of people's uh, issue with Brewdog. You know, I, I, I read this thing recently saying that Brewdog are too big to be independent now. So what, what, what does that mean? <laughs> you know, mm. it's, uh, you know, Brewdog are still, whatever you think of Brewdog, whatever you think of some of the more questionable stunts and things like this, um, they've not changed their manifesto or their policy um, ever since day one. They've always said, uh, we want to make everyone as passionate about craft beer as we are. And all their actions are consistent with that. So yeah. if, they were wrong in, if they were wrong in 2007, so if they're wrong now, they were wrong in 2007. But there's a lot of people who loved them back then who hate them now because they've become too successful at what they set out to do. Yeah. It's interesting because with, with those two categories, you know, craft beer or traditional ales, whatever, that we, we define beer in that way, especially when it's the same process. So I, I was at, having a look around uh, Timothy Taylor's brewery um, earlier this year. I think it was in February with Tim Dewey. And Andy LeMann showed me around. And, you know, and I was just like, for, for a quote-unquote traditional ale brewery, you know, it's, it's essentially, firstly, it's essentially the same process. And secondly, you know, it's, it's in some ways, it's more craft than some of the modern brew houses I've been around because, the, you know, particularly on that size, they're still really having to get their hands dirty on that equipment. 
Well, this is why I thought it was useful to go to this broader uh, discussion of what craft is, um, because when you go right back to it, it's all about the connection between hand and head and li literally, as you said, getting your hands dirty and stuff. By that metric, if, if, you, if you look at craft in its broadest sense, then Marston's is actually the most craft brewery I've ever been to. I've been to some really hip craft breweries that are almost entirely automated, whereas Marston's uh, in the Burton Union rooms where pedigree is brewed, there's an incredible amount of manual labour using ancient methods that aren't economical anymore, but they give the beer its character. Um, and it's tradition, it's got a cooper there full, working full-time to maintain the barrels. Uh, it, it, it's archaic, it's fantastic, it's, it's wonderful. And, and the beer that comes out of it is Marston's pedigree which people mm. would say, I'm sure a lot of craft beer fans would say, is not a craft beer. And I would agree that pedigree is perhaps a bit more accessible now than it used to be. Uh, but I've tasted a lot worse craft beers from small artists and brewers than I have Marston's pedigree. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can understand in the States why they've got a term like craft beer, given their history with, with beer and brewers. However, in the UK where we've had craft brewers for centuries essentially i mean it, it does seem like a bit of a, a marketing word i mean how, how much of this is marketing hype and how much of it is actually driven by consumers and do you think having some of these terms is actually a bit of a hindrance to to some breweries and not just the traditional ones if that makes mm. sense there's a, there's a lot to unpack there in in that question um is it a marketing term i i think I think people who say it's just a marketing term do so with an automatic assumption that marketing terms are a bad thing. Hmm. Um, and what, there's, there's an important distinction between when a term is misappropriated and used cynically versus a marketing term which is a useful handle for consumers to get on. And, and that, that's something that runs all the way through marketing. Uh, a lot of people think about marketing and spin as fake and hype and distortion and with good reason because a lot of it is when i was idealistic about marketing a lot of great marketers a lot of the guys whose books are still in print that weren't in the 60s and 70s used to talk about marketing as the truth well told so I, I don't think there's anything wrong with working on your message and coming up with the best phrase or idea or thought to get your message across mm. so long as you're being true so long as you're being truthful in that so I see absolutely nothing wrong with someone using the term craft beer if they're trying to honestly and accurately describe processes and, more importantly, an ethos uh, behind what they're doing. If someone's just putting that term on a can of Foster's because it's really hot right now, so let's just nick it and slap it on our packaging, then I think that's disgraceful. Yeah. Um, and because uh, that's just cynical. And I, I write in the book about, if you remember... Uh, about 15 years ago, uh, a great example of this happening far more efficiently uh, and cynically than, than what's happening with craft beer. Um, Budvar were behind uh, this idea of creating a new category called world beer. And, and at the time, a lot of big lager brands that people thought were imp being imported from exotic countries were actually being brewed under license in the UK. So Budvar said, well, we only ever brew our beer in Jessica Budovica in southern Bohemia. Uh, so for beers like us that are only brewed at their point of origin and generally imported to the UK, those beers are world beers. 
And I thought, that's good. That's a uh, consumer can understand what that is. Da, da, da. And so what all the big brewers did was just started calling all their all their lagers world beers as well. Yep. And there was nothing to stop them from doing that. And I think it was a deliberate strategy to make that term meaningless. Uh, so big brewers, when something happens fr- from without from outside the big brewer's control. And the, the important thing to remember about craft beer is it happened without the permission of the most powerful brewers in the world. Um, it, that, has, that has just not happened for for generations, you know? And when something like that happens, the first thing they try to do is ignore it, then they try to denigrate it, and then they try to regulate it and replicate it and make it meaningless. And while I'll stick up for the term craft beer, I'm not denying that big brewers have done that, and, and I resent them for doing that. Yeah. Um, Having said that, I do think it's possible for a big brewer to make a craft beer. So how much of the word craft is associated with independence or size? Like, and could, could a large brewery or even one owned by a global drinks company with the correct ethos still be considered craft? Yeah, so in the broader craft debate, independence and ownership are utterly irrelevant. The, the, the finest craftsmen in the world, whether you're making uh, antique furniture, uh, Stradivarius violins, uh, whether you're Michelangelo painting the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, craftsmen have always had rich patrons. They've always worked for people with a lot of money. Craft has always been an elitist concept. Hmm. So in, in a broad craft sense, craft is not about ownership or independence. I totally get why in the craft beer industry we've got to a point where we're talking about independence but because that's the only criteria if you look at the states now it's it's got completely absurd so when they removed the uh, the clause about um traditional ingredient methods and said all you need to do to be a craft brewer is to be independently owned and have a brewing license and make a beer that that's that's all you got to do to be a craft brewer now suddenly youngling is now a craft brewer now, Youngling has been brewing in the States since the 1820s. It brews rice and corn syrup-based lagers that are identical to Budweiser, and that's a craft brewery. Goose Island, which makes which makes Bourbon County, which is possibly the most revered uh, barrel-aged beer in the world, mm. is not a craft beer. It's not, it's not a craft beer because Goose Island is owned by AB InBev. So if Youngling Light is a craft beer and Goose Island Bourbon County Stout is not a craft beer, then something's gone really badly wrong. Gosh, yeah, it's um, it's a complex topic, isn't it? <laughs> it certainly is. This is why I thought. This is why I decided to kind of. I, I describe it on the first page of your book as like like being like being a scab that I can't stop picking, or or you know a, a loose tooth that you can't stop probing. And it's like this is this is going to be more trouble than it's worth. It really, really is. Yeah. But I just I just can't leave it alone. And so I thought it was worth a a book length investigation to kind of. I have all these arguments out and look at all these inconsistencies because it's really tricky. You know, at times, I can sound like I'm defending big beer, um, but I think you have to put their side to it in order that you can then condemn them for what they do do wrong. There's a lot of times where I sound like I'm slagging off uh, independent breweries for trying to twist the term craft into something it's not, but I totally get their motives for doing so. Mm. So, so, so it's not a black and white picture at all. There's lots of shades of grey in it. Yeah, that's that's so true. Because uh, I mean, I was thinking about how much brewers themselves maybe play into their hands as some of this terminology and and adapt the word craft or the image of craft. You know, cans over bottles, sleek artwork yeah. on the beer, as you were saying earlier. Being in with the cool kids at the festivals and how much of that actually translates into higher beer sales. Do, do you think at some point 
because you know for, uh, yeah for some breweries that definitely translates into higher beer sales but not not all i mean do, do you no. do you think someone sooner or later just needs to tell some of these brewers that the emperor's got no clothes on and they just need to have some integrity to who they are and maybe maybe they do just brew really good straight up english pale ales and stuff yeah so, i mean if yeah. you i always argue that i always argue that if you were to if you were to somehow pick pick up green king actually this is not true anymore uh, but it was true until they got bought out by the chinese mm-hmm. um, if you were to pick up if you were to pick up green king with a massive kind of land grabber and take it and its beers and its staff and everything about it and dump it just outside portland oregon making the same beers in the same way that they do now no one would have any uh, doubt about calling green king a craft brewer it's only the fact that it's it's only the fact that it's in Bury St Edmunds brewing those beers on that scale, and not in North America that means that it's we wouldn't consider it a craft brewer. When you talk to all the first generation of American craft brewers, they all cite British real ales as their inspiration. Yeah. So so many of the classic American craft beer brands are reputedly uh, started life as clones of beers from people like Fuller's and uh, Youngs and Timothy Taylors and stuff. And when you look at this broader thing of craft, uh, you quickly get to – where I get to at the end of the book, there's there's two aspects of being a proper craft brewer, to come back to your question. If, if, we, if we think of someone as a sound, honest, proper craft brewer, we expect them to make good craft beers, and we also expect them to behave like a good craft brewer. Yeah. And and if, you, if you've got one but not the other, it doesn't matter which way around it is, then you get called out for it. So when you think about um, – you know, craft has this kind of. Uh, uh, I think it's fair to say that craft has a more progressive uh, set of politics than mainstream business does, and that's one thing that attracts people to it. That it's kind of like a better way of living. You know, mm. craft beer craft beer bars are way ahead of mainstream pubs in things like gender neutral toilets and 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 things like that, and uh, treating uh, being aware of people with anxiety and not putting sexist pump clips on and and all that kind of stuff. And and if you get like a there was an American craft brewer a couple of years ago where the uh, the head brewer was accused of uh, sexually molesting a, uh, a member of bar staff in a tap room just down the road from them. It killed their business. Mm. You know, 18 months later, they were they were bought out. Um, and I've written about a brewer called Scofflaw who uh, in 2017... Uh, responded to complaints about inconsistency in their beer by posting a picture of them, the, the entire brewer staff on Facebook, giving the middle finger to their consumers, to their drinkers, saying, if, if you want consistency, fuck off and buy big brands. We're not consistent. We're fucking scofflaw. And and people, were, I think, were more upset by their arrogance and their behaviour than they were by the quality of the beers. Yeah. So so I think if you want to survive in the craft world, behaving within the set of values that are rightly or wrongly associated with craft is at least as important as brewing some decent beer. Yeah. So while, while we're talking about the topic of independence, I mean, why do you think people fiercely defend independence? And mm. are there situations when a microbrewery sells up to a global where that's actually the, the right move for their business? Yeah, it's... It's a really tricky one, and when 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 examples of this have happened, like uh, it, the most recent ones, Fuller's, Beaver Town, Magic Rock, um, I've always looked at that with two with two perspectives. And you know, I, I write as a 
I, my name is built on me having a kind of fairly objective and reasoned analysis of of the industry mm-hmm. and, a, and a deeper understanding of it. it. There's a lot of writers write from a position of personal personal passion. Yeah. And, and I sometimes do that. But if I'm going to write about issues like this, I end up writing about it more from an analytical point of view. And those two perspectives often come into conflict for me. So as a, as a passionate fan of of beer and craft beer and the principles behind it, I'm fucking pissed off when these sales happen. As an, as an analytical uh, observer of the industry, I totally get why it's happened and think that it's good for the companies involved. Yeah. Um, you know, five years ago, people all across the country were saying, oh, my God, I wish we could get Beavertown beers. They're so cool. They're so cool. And I'm like, I'd be in places like Sheffield going, well, yeah, but what are, they, what are the local brews? Who, who's good in the city? Went, oh, never mind that. We just wish we could get Beavertown. And when Heineken bought them out and put um, – well, they didn't buy them out. They bought a minority stake. But when they put Beavertown beers through Heineken's distribution channels – Beavertown sales increased by 500% in 12 months because loads and loads of people wanted their beers and could now get them. Mm. So are we meant to turn around and say, yeah, but you guys in Sheffield, you're not allowed to have Beavertown beers because because that would destroy their integrity and their independence. So that, that's that's that side of it. Um, the business side of it is you like, because crap... <laughs> Craft breweries of any level are businesses and they have to survive as businesses. Yeah. On the other hand, I think independence is important to people because we know how we know how big businesses work. We we know how they behave. And and when you get onto that um cycle of uh you know, if you're if you're a shareholder quoted company, then you then you have a legal obligation to put maximization of shareholder value above any other consideration if you said no the quality and integrity of our beers is more important than that you could get sued or at least fired for saying that that's more important than maximization of shareholder value so as soon as you're not independent anymore there is a huge risk of the products being compromised and the principles of being a craft brewer being being compromised and that's why independence is important i don't think it's mutually exclusive i certainly don't think every independent brewer is good and every big brewer is bad but a small independent brewery is far, far more likely to be consistent with what we expect from craft beer than a big brewery is. But again, it's not black and white. Mm. Interestingly, I've had a few conversations on this topic um, relatively recently where I've asked people, like, why, why do you live and die by independence in craft beer, but then go and buy your milk from a supermarket rather than mm. support your local dairy farm? And not that everyone lives near the countryside, but you get the point. I mean, yeah. Do you, do you think that many of us in the industry have gotten a bit on our high horse as, as far as this topic's concerned? Because it's quite contentious, and and almost have double standards in that you know we'll fight for independence to the death when it comes to beer, but we'll happily go to the supermarket and diddle the local dairy farmer out of a, a good price and fair price for milk. I, I think the reason that happens is because. Um, Going back to my marketing training, uh, there, there are certain things we buy that we invest a lot of emotional uh, capital in and other things that we buy because uh, we have to. So your your, your choice of uh, clothing or your choice of beer brand says a lot more about you than your choice of toilet roll or, or your choice <laughs> of soap, you know. So so it's about the products that we imbue some sort of cultural meaning with mm. uh, or some kind of personal meaning, some, some sense of some, some lens of self-definition into. Where I think the bigger hypocr- hypocrisy is, um, if, you, if you look at something like when Beaver Town sold out, if you've got an independent bottle shop like Hot Burns and Black, 
And they've staked everything on Independence as their USP and Beavertown is their biggest seller. And then they take the very reluctant decision that now Beavertown is no longer independent. They can no longer stock their biggest seller. I think their position, they're entirely within any rights you can imagine to, to slag Beavertown off for that decision and yep. say, this this is shit. If you're working in a big office on a, on a 50, 40, 50 grand a year salary, sitting behind your computer, um, uh, skiving and taking money from a large multinational corporation, then you do not get a voice. You do not get to say that Beavertown were wrong to sell out because, because you know, they've they've risked everything in a way that you haven't. Uh, and I felt more strongly about that when when Alistair Hook sold Meantime. You know, he he worked his he worked his ass off for that business, built it from nothing. And then there's then there's keyboard warriors sitting telling him that he has no right to sell it. That as he approaches his sixties, he should carry on working his guts out, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and just, just so that they can be happy that they're buying an independent beer. Gosh, I mean, how much does good design and social media savviness and marketing play into whether a brewery is perceived as craft or trad and and how do these design influence sorry and how do those designs influence purchasing behavior i mean there's a, there's a whole i think the visual language of craft because this is the, the next book i'm working on is a book on beer design um which camera are going to publish in the autumn and and the language of beer design changes every every few years um i remember brew dog uh creating this kind of real punky anti-establishment you know there's a lot of kind of spray painted cut up graphics kind of things around that time and then you get people like wild beer co going craft beer can be really elegant as well uh, Beavertown creating a visual language that breaks every single rule about what good design is supposed to be and how good design is supposed to work and then cloudwater starting this thing of of beer cans as art and I was just been talking to them saying, you know, in 20, was it 2015 or 2016, there wasn't, there wasn't anything out there that looked like Cloudwater did. Yeah. And now, and now everything out there looks like Cloudwater yep. does. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and some of it, some of it is beautiful packaging, but not very good design because you, you see some computer generated graphics with some lovely swirly colors and you put 10 of those up against each other competitive brands you go right which one's which well it's interesting you say that because i did a talk um at a seba meeting in january um on branding and marketing and design and in the slides i put up a picture of um three contemporary craft breweries and their packaging and they all looked the same you know, it was basically yeah. you got the yeah. kind of like you know when you got widescreen a film on widescreen, it's black. Where you got the white band yes. on top, a, a kind of abstract arty photo in the middle, the logo dead center, and then in, in a in a font that looks like the Spotify font at the bottom, the name of the yeah. beer, you know, with with some kind of really abstract name like Unsplashed or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and 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 I was like, well, you, you know, good design and brands aren't the same thing. You know, I, exactly. I I would argue that there are very few in in terms of independent craft beer in the UK. There are very few actual brands. I think there's a yeah. lot of good brand identity and 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 a lot of design. But I, I would argue there's very few brands where people really have that buy-in to the way that Brewdog have got a buy-in. You know, they must have got yeah. a huge buy-in from people to to be raising all that money for Equity for Punks 
and to be selling loads of beer. Well, my, my, I can see his house from here. My neighbour across the road buys their beer because it's a Brewdog beer because he's very yeah. much invested yeah. and bought into the brand. I, I went on their um, I went on their Brewdog Airlines trip to Columbus, Ohio, mm. back in October, and uh, yeah, it was two hundred and twenty uh, equity for punks people on that plane they'd made their own t-shirts um with 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 equity for punks Brewdog airlines logos on them that they had designed yeah um it's like a cult yeah it really is it, the, the devotion you know it's it's not cool to like Brewdog anymore within craft beer uh circles but they have a mass fan base out there who love them like a religion and i'll tell you what it doesn't matter a toss whether we still think they're credible or not they, they don't need us anymore yeah, yeah. um but, but i think i think in that kind of general miasma of of craft beer design all of which or nearly all of which is aesthetically appealing um it's nice to look at when you've got a shelf of that stuff but it's part of the whole problem that craft beer well craft brewers have that the sector oh god i'm slipping into marketing speak uh craft, <laughs> craft beer is it's, it's all driven by promiscuity it's all about having the new thing i was in a bottle shop recently and some people came in uh and were looking uncertainly at the craft beer shelves and a member of staff came up and said, "Can I help you?" And they said, "Yeah, we, we go into a we go into a mate's uh, house for dinner, and they're really into their beer, but we really don't know much much about craft beer, so we don't know what to get." And um, the woman looked at the shelves and said, "What about these ones? They're new. They've probably not heard of them yet." <laughs> so for the serving the shop, you know, not oh, do you know what kind of food they're cooking? Or you know, what styles they like, mm. or what styles do you like? Do you like something more complex? No, it's like, oh, these are new. They've probably not heard of them yet, and and that's the criterion for for, for buying or selling craft beer. And and so it's 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 great from a sector point of view. It's great that you've got drinkers who are like, right, what's new? What's new? What haven't I had yet? Um, but good luck to any brewer trying to build up any loyalty or any kind of long term sales contracts or anything like that. Yeah. Well, I remember when I first started getting into the beer business. This is back when I started Emmanuel's before I joined Sheffield Brewery where I brought that brand in as a sub-brand into yeah. that brewery. I um, my, my business mentor said to me, like, and this, we're, we're talking like start of 2015, said, said yeah. to me, um, people have no brand loyalty these days, you know, and, and you're going to have to work like twice as hard to build brand loyalty because n- no one has it. And you're right, they, n- people, generally speaking, for the most part, don't. And I think if, if you can get that kind of brand loyalty... Um, I, I think you've, particularly now when most people are staying indoors or staying alert or whatever, yeah. whatever the hell people driving to Durham <laughs> and everything. Yes. Um, but you know, um, I, th- I think you need that more than ever. And I- I'd be interested to find out your take actually on wh- whether you think in light of the global pandemic and buying habits changing, whether those kind of FOMO beers aren't gonna have as much of a um have as much relevance or importance in the world of craft beer in comparison to kind of people supporting either their local breweries or the brands and beers they know so it's so it's very hard to say how buying habits are going to change post lockdown because uh, you've got things pushing in different directions on the one hand we're becoming even more reliant on supermarkets than we already were uh i mean i'd be uh I haven't been out of the house now for over two months and we're completely reliant on Ocado delivery slots. Uh, And there's a lot of people in that situation. On the other hand, I genuinely think that this is going to create 
a more focused um, attention towards what's local. I really do. I, th- I think it, I think it's kind of shrinking our worldview. Mm. Um, the street outside now feels like this magical uh, open world to me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like uh, I, 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 I'll be amazed. You know, I'm going to get vertigo if I go to the end of the end of the street. It's 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 incredible, and and local businesses across the board, not just in beer, have really stepped up. Um, and certainly where, where I live, we've we've got quite a nice little high street and stuff, and some shops responded to the crisis by jacking up the prices on things like hand sanitizer, uh, selling it like for 10 quid for a tiny bottle. Uh, and others responded by really helping out the community, getting involved in social media and WhatsApp groups, um, a local bakery that started doing flour deliveries to people, selling selling flour in little bags when people couldn't get through the supermarkets. Mm. And, you, and you're going to remember who did what. Yes. You're going to remember who price gouged you and who tried to fleece you and take advantage and who said, we're, we're part of a community, let's try and help each other out. Um, and I've seen my local breweries have been excellent. They really, really have. You know, I, I can I can order a couple of cases of beer because they've got delivery drivers who, are, who should be making runs to pubs who are now sitting in vans. They, I can order beer at 10 o'clock in the morning and have it delivered by one in the afternoon. Right. And uh, it, it, with a branded van pulling up outside, and and you remember the people who go the extra mile. I think mm. so. I think there's certainly going to be a. It, it's probably about practicality versus morality, and I think I think in terms of morality, we're going to we're going to want more authentic personal relationships with people, uh, and we're going to want to support local brewers. In terms of practicality, if that's too difficult for us, then we'll we'll de- we'll default to the, <laughs> to the to the shiny big brand. <laughs> so. I guess two questions, um, which I'm, I think will tie into one another. Like, where where do you see the beer industry heading over the next few years, particularly in light of what we're experiencing now? And then off the back of that, do you do you think pubs will ever be the same again? And how how do you envision pubs operating, especially when governments start to ease their lockdowns? Yeah, it's really it's really tough. I mean, I think in the few months before lockdown, I was anticipating uh, a shakeout of of breweries because uh, we have too many breweries mm. and a lot of them have been surviving on non-viable long-term economic models. So you think about any startup business and you've, you've been there yourself, yep. you know, any, any, any startup business, you work every single hour you can. And you think, right, I'm doing this to get it off the ground. I'm not taking any money out of the business. Uh, I'm working weekends, I'm working nights, I'm going to make it happen. And if you do get to a point where you start growing and you can then kind of hire more staff and uh, make it more reasonable, then brilliant. But there's a lot of businesses who are stuck in that startup mode who yeah. are not, not going to be able to get out of it um, and then simply run out of energy and crash, I think. Um, and I'm I'm counting some really good brewers and some really good beers in that. Um, and I think lockdown's going to accelerate that process. Uh yeah. There's, there's brewers that were not geared up to packaging beer. There's a lot of breweries now where if you go on their websites, you know, they're, they're not brewing. Um, uh, the online shops might be closed, might be reopening, uh, selling a fold stock or whatever. Uh, and they're expected to also step up and, and help pubs out. Uh, I've seen forecasts that we're going to lose as many as 40% of the country's pubs. Wow. Um, if, if we don't reopen soon enough. And in terms of different environments, you know, it's I've seen people laughing about the fact that garden centres are the first things to reopen. But but people's willingness to go back into a public space is directly linked to how crowded that public space is going to be. There's a very good reason that garden centres are opening first. It's because 
and even under normal circumstances in a garden centre, you're usually about 20 feet away from the next person in there. Yeah, totally. And people are far more nervous about going back to environments that they remember as being crowded. So, you know, live live gigs are going to be the very, very last thing yeah. to, to come back. Uh, there are no music festivals happening this summer. Uh, I've heard rumours that Glastonbury and Green Man and other festivals might be gone for good. Uh, and that if they do come back, they might be looking to come back in 2021, let alone, you know, this year or whatever. Um, and pubs are close to that end of the scale. So social distancing uh, measures are going to destroy a lot of what we like about pubs. I mean, it's certainly going to be a very long time before we're standing at a bar that's six deep. Yeah. Um, uh, so that's not going to happen. I think it's going to suit certain types of pub. Uh, and I, I'm doing some thinking about Cascale at the moment. And I think Cascale is going to be a very hard hit through lockdown, but it's going to do quite well afterwards because when we do go back to pubs, it's going to be sitting sitting down at spread apart tables we're not going to want to be listening to crashing loud music. We're going to have to have quiet conversations with people that we've not seen in person for, for three or four months. Mm. And and that suits cask pretty well, I think. Yeah. Uh, so, so I think pubs are going to, when pubs first come back, they're going to be quieter, mellower, more more reflective occasions. That's about catching up with people you you care about. Um, but there's no getting around the fact that it's, it's going to take a big hit. It's um, The one thing we can rely on is that it's all, you know, it's pretty nice drinking cans of craft beer and having them delivered to the door. But my God, a, a freshly poured pint of anything, I would, I would kill my mother for that right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm missing the pub severely at the moment. <laughs> the, the, yeah, the, it's, it's weird because there are some days I'll just sit and look out the window and think, I really wish I was in the pub right now. Yeah, you know, it's not because I'm a raging alcoholic or anything. It's just like I, you know, sometimes I go work from the pub, and it's just nice. It's just a nice environment to be in. Well, I was just thinking that all the reading I've done for this craft book. Um, I used to take my dog for a walk every day, um, sort of mid late afternoon. We'd spend an hour walking around the park, and then I'd just drop into a pub for one or two pints on the way back, and get my get my book out and my notebook and my pencil and scribbled notes in the margins of all these books. That's how, that's how I did all the research for this new book, and I can't do that at the moment. So uh, that's the you know that, that's a lovely thing about pubs. It's there's such a variety of different there's such a variety of ways you can just order a pint and sit and drink it. Yeah. There's so many different moods, so many different occasions, um, and we've all got our favourite one. Uh, and this weather's making it tough at the moment. Tell me about it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, thanks for being on the show today. Uh, just just one last question then before we, we, we sign out. Uh, what's your one piece of advice that you give to brewers, bottle shop owners and bars surviving this period at the t- at the moment? Ooh, um, focus on local. Uh, focus on local communities. B- build them, rebuild them, build them stronger. Um and and just behave like part of the local community. That, that's about the best I can do, I think. Yeah. But that's that's just very weird. I'm I'm strongly feeling that at the moment. It might be a different answer tomorrow. <laughs> Bill, well, th- thanks for being on the show, Pete. Um, how how can people find out more about you and your work, and wh- where can people order your new book? So um, everything I do at the moment is on my website, petebrown.net. Uh, either this week or next week, I'm launching a, a Patreon. Uh, which is going to give some exclusive content and some edits from the book that I've made the final cut and things like that. Uh, the book is available for pre-order on Amazon currently. 
uh, as a Kindle, and we're working on getting it available as an audio book and a print-on-demand book uh, before the planned release date of the 25th of June. Wow, not long then. No. <laughs> Bro. Well, thanks for being on the show, Pete. It's a pleasure. Today's episode of the Hop4 podcast was proudly brought to you by SSV Limited. From tanks to full brew houses, SSV Limited has got you covered. In just five short years, SSV Limited have established themselves as your go to partner to help you grow or launch your brewery. High quality tanks, parts, brewing kit, knowledge and experience to ensure your project runs smoothly from beginning to completion. Their online part shop stocks well over a thousand essential brewing parts to ensure your brewery is kept up and running with the majority available on next day delivery. Visit their web shop on store.ssvlimited.co.uk. That's store.ssvlimited.co.uk and place your order today. Thanks for tuning in to the Hot Four podcast this week. Don't forget, we're here to help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. So hit the subscribe button for more insights into the beer industry. Connect with us at hotforward.beer or through our social media channels at hotforwardbeers. Until next time, cheers. Hey, so